This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Edit audio. When you talked about like tattooing having longevity, I think that's also part of the issue is like the only reason why in trad tattooers there's like Danny Diomi DeVito, like Tony, Tony McConzi, and he's like 92 years <laughs> old, but people still want to get yeah. shaky tats from him. Like the only person that we have like that in Western colonial tattooing is Jackie. And like right. even she is not doing well because we don't have that necessarily like intergenerational hype beast culture around tattooing. And that's where I even find value in apprenticeships because just like how intergenerational relationships are valuable, like child to grandparent, you know, that's valuable to the longevity of tattooing where there needs to be some boundaries around like what we're doing here in hierarchies. What's up, y'all? Welcome to season two of The Teardown, a podcast hosted by me, Vegas Sink, hopefully still your favorite polarizing tattooer. Every episode, I sit down and chat with amazing guest artists, and we dive in more intimately on the politics of the tattoo industry, as well as some topics I feel are more relevant in contemporary tattooing. So now that we're all set up, let's get started. Are you ready? Whether visuals are seen in the mind like in meditation or depicted through the eye of the creative mind, Jalen Frizzell is allured by the power of symbols and their effects on the observer. Jalen is a self-taught artist that has been working professionally in the Canadian tattoo industry since 2015. Jalen has cultivated tattooing techniques that embody pan-African black cultures, hairstyles, and features using methods unconventional to modern tattooing. They are influenced by the Afrofuturism, Afro-surrealism, and Afro-pessimism movements. Jalen, how are you? I'm all right. Like, (laughs) I feel like that's such a loaded question nowadays. Like, how are you feeling like today? Turning 30. Yeah, I just turned 30. (laughs) I feel good. I feel like I'm ready to say like goodbye to my 20s. Like, they actually weren't as cute as like society makes them out to be. And I'm embracing the 30s. But yeah, I feel the need to like just name that I'm coming to this talk today burnt out Mm. I'm a little burnt out from like the system but I'm so excited to be here and I hope I can articulate everything clearly properly (laughs) I'm sure you will we never miss or skip a beat when we have these conversations privately 
And I mean, I think burnout is a good way to describe how I'm feeling. But like I've been able to take moments of rest that have been able to like recharge. So I'm always just like crossing that line and then coming back and then coming, you know, and then just kind of trying to prioritize joy and like fun this summer before the like it's weird that we like operate under like summer and the winter months almost it's like it's like school summer but like we're not in school and work doesn't stop for us like it's all year round and summer's the time to work but it's also the time to be like outside so finding that balance can be really challenging but yeah that's the thing like I also what I appreciate about you Vegas I feel like we're coming to this conversation like me I'm a high school dropout you know so it's not like (laughs) I'm accredited I've been writing essays and things like that and I I like see that as well in the way that you like operate with your thought processes and politics it's like yeah high school. I was just talking about that with somebody too there's actually another tattoo artist and they were just um I was just telling them that I don't know. I love tattooing. I've been in love with tattooing. What feels like most, like most of my adult life, actually, and I just feel as though I got to a place in tattooing currently that's almost like the end goal for most artists, right? Like owning a shop is like the end goal. If I could go back in time, knowing what I know now, I would have stayed in the place that I was just before opening True, which was traveling, meeting new artists, doing conventions, like really just enjoying like the sort of adolescence, my adolescence, or like, I wouldn't call it my adolescence years in tattooing. I call it like my teen years, like my coming out, just becoming legal years of tattooing. (laughs) And I would have held off on it because I'm I'm really mourning that. And then I'm also feeling like, and you, as you know, I do other things, community work on the side, but I want to explore other parts of myself. And this artist was also explained the same. Like they're like, well, I'm taking a, they dropped out of high school as well. Like they're going to take like a coding course and they've been having a less rigid tattooing schedule and just creating art, like almost every day, almost every week, just drawing and painting. I'm like, oh my God, like that's amazing. Um, And they're just like, I'm just going to travel and do art. And I'm like, fucking good for you. I wish. That's so interesting because that really touches on like even me turning 30. Like I got into the industry when I was 19. So it's almost this aspect of like looking at how far I've come, where I thought I would be. Even I thought I was like, I want to have a shop by the time I'm this age. But like when I hear your experience, I'm glad I don't have a studio because I don't feel like I've engaged (laughs) in that travel aspect either. But at the same time, like I want to put some major respect on your name to maybe why you value that adolescence. Because on top of the responsibility of having a shop, you also did it as a queer Afro descendant, you know, like Mm -hmm. I feel like for me turning 30 and thinking about like, why don't I have a shop? It's also me like contending with the reality of what it would take to have a shop, having this identity. So I'm just putting flowers on you in that respect too, because you've already done something that along with the team, like isn't very viable. But yeah, I hear that as well with like tattooers that are earlier in their career and they're kind of diversifying their focus onto other art forms. And it's actually providing a nice balance to tattooing where me, I'm like, this is my only shit. I've dedicated myself to my whole 20s. So what now? Like, 
Right. It seems like you might need to have something else where like when I came tattooing, it's like, no, that's the only thing all your time, all your focus. Like you live by it, you die by it, you breathe it, you know? Similarly with myself and the folks at the shop who, like you said, like Afro-descendant, like black, mixed black folks, queer, trans, that we serve a, per- a particular demographic of clientele and we try to maintain like equity and pricing and accessibility, which isn't always fair well in terms of workload. Charging less than what you're probably worth means that you're having to work more rather than aligning with like that sort of natural progression as a tattoo artist, as an artist of like increased pricing. And then like, I know you were kind of talking about getting an assistant. Like I will say like having a booking assistant changed the game for me. Mm -hmm. Like if I did not own the shop and I only tattooed, oh my God, the only thing I'd have to worry about is drawing and tattooing. Beautiful. (laughs) Right. So I think that's really helpful for folks, but it's, it's costly for me. It's become a necessary cost, but I've also been able to, because of the, also, I guess, having a space where I feel good that is established that we're building, you know, and there's, other like, and I still do sliding scale and I have other artists there that can take up work that I'm not, maybe not willing to do at like such a low price point, but which is not necessarily true. I'll take anything, Mm -hmm. but I mean, (laughs) feeling safe and secure and comfortable and, and, and steady definitely helps my ability to be able to have an assistant in the first place. And I think that's important. And it's just not common for a lot of black tattooers in this industry at all. And it sucks. Yeah. It's been so much instability, you know, like sometimes I'm just like, I feel like my own lived experience of tattooing has not been as joyful as it could be because of the instability that comes with wanting to align yourself with more radical values. Like Mm, it's not mm -hmm. good for an artist to move studios once a year, multiple times a year, you know? Because for the most part, your studio becomes like sort of your community, like at least a tattoo community. It can feel isolating if you don't feel like you have a community that you like align with in in many ways. Yeah. Right. Or like we're all separated in different studios, you know, (laughs) whether it be across the town or across like a whole provincial border or even an international border or literally. Yeah. yeah, Like I kind of feel like I could be booked and busy if borders didn't exist. And sometimes I feel like I have my hands up against glass being like, I miss (laughs) y'all. Let me in. (laughs) Visitation rights. Like, damn, you know, um, but your work definitely, yeah, it, it transcends a lot of that. Like, I feel like, I mean, when, when you come to Toronto, you're always booked. But, like, it doesn't always translate. Like, moving to Toronto wouldn't be, like, the solution <laughs> because the cost of living here is high. And I don't know. I think, I don't know if you'd have a hard time getting yourself booked just because what you do is very different than what's being done here. And you could probably start to charge what you're worth. Because mm. I know Montreal people are cheap. <laughs> Yeah. Like that might be a good transition into the intention that we set with this conversation, which is cultural appropriation. Well, you know, before we jump into that, let's let's because, yeah, I know we're already in the conversation (laughs) now. But like for some of the audience, I'd like to ask you some questions so that they can get to know you. 
Um, so how did you get into tattooing and what has your journey been like? Ooh, that's a big question. But yeah, essentially, you know, I was interested in tattooing since I was young because I was lucky enough to be like my elementary school was like an arts elementary school where we like do a play instead of write a thing in social studies. Da da da. So I always wanted to be an artist, but I wasn't sure the capacity. I was just getting in trouble for how I dressed, how I looked, da da da. Over time, I became like a little delinquent in my city, a little black emo, well, Afro-descendant because I'm biracial, alternative punk person. But through a series of being like, I'm going to be an artist, I don't give a fuck. Where do the artists hang out in the city? They hang out downtown. So I'm going to start being downtown. I like ended up meeting some people. I went to a tattoo convention, my first one. And I ran into someone that I had met at like a few art events in the past. And at the time, the front desk person of the studio that they were apprenticing at was always late all the time, a white dread girl, which is really funny. So yeah, I like, I had been working since I was 14 at that point and like wasn't in school anymore, like high school dropout. And I was working at a bank at a call center at the time. And uh, just trying to get like um, stability as a younger and trying to find what I could. But yeah, once I got the opportunity to work front desk at a studio, I was like, oh shit, I'm going to take this opportunity. Like, what if I could get into this? What if I could really do it? So yeah, I did that for like a couple years working front desk. It was quite wild and dramatic because it was like, an ex-Hells Angel shop turned New Age Buddhist <laughs> turned born-again Christian situation. Okay. <laughs> and like in my city, which is Calgary, Alberta, where I grew up, like I didn't know any other black tattoo artists or Afro-descended tattoo artists, period, at all. Had never seen one. So yeah, I worked there for a couple of years. There was a lot of wild drama that came with all that New Age stuff. <laughs> All the artists ended up leaving because it was like a fucked up work environment. Mm -hmm. I would always like be at the front, like working on a drawing, like doing things like that. And one of the artists would always like give me feedback and be supportive. So he left to open up his own studio in a small town in Alberta, in Cochrane, Alberta, which is like a mm -hmm. town of 25,000 people, super small. So I moved out there to pursue tattooing, get my apprenticeship. Did that for like a year and a half and like lost my mind in this small ass town. And then, yeah, started applying for jobs in Montreal because it was like my dream since I was a child to live here. More diverse, like people be drinking. Yeah, I saw you tilt your head. It's like it is questionable. <laughs> Once you get here, you're like, oh, um, but yeah, I ended up like applying to a couple jobs as shops with like the quality of work that I have. I fucked up some of the interviews. People like didn't want to hire me because my tats weren't there. I had a lot of misconceptions about like what drawing was and how to execute a tattoo. Like I thought I wasn't allowed to use reference. And I thought I like all these things that didn't make sense. But yeah, I finally landed a job at like a high volume street shop who's actually owned by a trans femme, trans woman, which is was cool at the time. <laughs> and yeah, I've just been working my way up different street shops in Montreal since I moved here in 2016. And 
I've been working my way up in street shops, but being like, <laughs> yo, we care about black people, right? Right? We care about melanin, right? Right? And like just being shown every step of the way that like that's not the case. So eventually I left street shops completely and I've kind of been working my way, finding um, some some grounding since then. So yeah, that's how I entered like more DIY spaces been like bouncing in and out like cracks and crevices where I could fit in where like I could afford to work but yeah I feel like that's all very like how it went down but yeah it was really cool to like work around different types of artists my whole career different stages of the industry from like walk-in studios to like queer DIY spaces where people are sticking poking that's a little bit about my journey and yeah yeah so how would you describe your art style? Um, well, I think like Aaron Davis coined a term that describes it. Afro-Americana. Yeah, Afro-Americana would be a good way to describe it. But like I really got, when I was a child, I loved like comic books and anime and stuff. So you see some of that in like modern day, kind of this neo-traditional Without being like, because stereotypical neo-traditional is like a swan wearing a pearl necklace. You know what I mean? (laughs) But like, (laughs) there's also neo-traditional that's just like, we use a line weight that like works on the body long term in a mixed way with like solid black. So yeah, I would say Afro-Americana. I really want to start getting into more like mythology and symbolism I would say Japanese is my favorite style. So I really want to lean more into that while also being culturally respectful. So mm-hmm. yeah, life, death, dreams, bays, scorpions, flames, elements. <laughs> That's what I like. Yeah, I mean, I guess you kind of touched on it, but like what are things that inspire you creatively? Like I would say the things that inspire me creatively, I like a shock factor to a tattoo in a way, Mm -hmm. especially when we talk about like who is represented in imagery for what reason, you know, like if you think about a pinup, you know, a pinup is a representation of a trophy who we would see as a trophy in society, decoration. There's even like the historical relevance of pinups, which is like dudes in the war who are feeling quite lonely, needing a little something to keep their spirits up. So I think in that context, in a way with like the indigenous context of tattooing, which is like symbolism, healing power, I think I'm inspired by the combination of those two things where it's like, if I tattoo an image of a femme and she has a look in her eyes, like she's going to suck your soul away. (laughs) Maybe, you know, the wearer of that tattoo, whoever sees it, if they can get that feeling of like, whoa, that image, it's like, maybe stay away. Like in what way could that serve as a protection symbol, you know? So that's what I'm thinking about a lot more and inspired by the most right now. That feels like a lot of intention and a lot of intention that requires a lot of energy. So it needs you to be present. Well, also (laughs) cultural relevance is so messy. There's a lot of like research with the responsibility of changing someone's body. Especially as like in terms of imagery, like especially uh, those of us who are part of the diaspora. Right. Trying to connect to things that feel relevant. Because like when we talk about even 
I feel like what is the difference between saying that something's like Afrocentric versus Afro-Americana? Mm. Or it's like when I hear like Afrocentric, I feel like there's a very specific uh, sort of imagery. It's almost like Pan-Africanism mm. versus like when I hear Afro-Americana and like how Aaron Davis had described it, it's like just making regular imagery black, but also pertaining to any sort of black experience. I think mostly um, the black experience of obviously uh, the Americas, which can resonate for us up North in a sense, or at least as he even named, there's some of us who have adopted this style and sort of developed it around like what we understand to be culturally relevant for us. But I think still, I don't know. I feel like, With Black folks, of course, there's like that whole history of not super being invited into this industry or not feeling welcomed and not being as involved and just even being able to access art in a critical way. So like not knowing like what is artistically well done or like what can be done creatively. And I always like find myself like having Black clientele that like, like my next consult right now is like, I want a Afrocentric sleeve. And like, obviously yes. the imagery is always a Black woman with an Afro and some flowers. And I'm like, we could do more. Yeah. I promise you we can do more. We could do that, but we can, you know, expand on that. So I know I think it's, it's, it's good that there are like artists like yourself, like Aaron, Af- like as you describe Afro-descendant artists or uh, even Chris, Chris yeah. Inc., who does um, the sort of gothic style tattooing. Yeah. Even in their interview, they said, black art is whatever I, I yes. do. I'm black and I made the art. So that's what it is. And I, and I fuck with that heavily and, and I resonate with that pretty heavily too. Well, and that speaks to even origins, you know, where it's like every time. And also, I just want to circle back to what you're saying about your consultation because I've had the same experience. And even being in a white majority space, people will be making fun of me. Like, why are your consults so long? You're draining yourself. You don't need to do all that. But it's like, I do need to do all that. Like, mm-hmm. it's a level of like undoing Because it's also like if people want examples of tattoos on melanin, that's also going to limit the art space that they can achieve. And like people want to forget when I started working at a tattoo shop in 2013, people weren't even drawing black people, period. Like what did we have? Like the proud family? Like what did we have for real? You know? So like Bill Cosby show and the cartoon little bill. It's so limited. So like there's so much undoing and like, yeah, when Chris says like black art is what I make it, I even feel like that connects in its way. And then even the origin where you go back to like all this culture, you go back to even like skinheads coming from Jamaican working class resistance, like even the neo-Nazi aesthetic was taken Mm -hmm. from black people. Like I wouldn't be surprised if black work somehow way back in the day. (laughs) Yeah. And I, and when you say undoing, I also hear like the element of having to reeducate and affirm and inform our clients, right? Like without fail, 98% of the time, if somebody's inquiring about a tattoo, a a person of melanated skin, black or brown, in that inquiry will say, I don't know if this will work on my skin. I don't think this color will work on my skin, but I would like to know if it's possible. Like without fail. Um, And sometimes it's not even about color. It's like legitimately just like black, like black. And so I get on these calls 
and even during the appointment, it's like this educative aspect of it. It's not just a matter of they walk in, they get the tattoo, boom, bam, yeah. they leave. No, I feel an immense responsibility to make sure that my my black and brown clientele leave more educated and are able to empower themselves and have more autonomy over uh, their understanding of how tattooing works. So they can walk into any shop yes. and they could say whatever they want to say to them. They can be like, mm, not the shop for me or you're wrong and walk out, right? Yeah. And like, again, even when you're saying like with the reference images, like I had another client yesterday who they wanted a black woman in water, like a black woman floating in mm-hmm. water with like an afro and whatever, and obviously looking for references. I could not find a reference. It, there was no for reference images on Google of a build black. Off. Yeah. <laughs> no, I had to like, I had to take elements of other imagery. I, there was no black woman floating in water. Yeah. And that's what people don't understand. I'm not going to like use a reference image of a white woman floating in water and put an afro on her. Like, no, I'm going to, I, the facial features have to be phenotypically yeah. black. Like, even though it's line work, you know? So like, even like that small little, like the fact that we can't even access like reference imagery easily. Period. Honestly, this is the stuff I think about all the time because when gatekeeping is dispelled, which is what like I was able to have somewhat of access through the tokenism of fucking colorism was seeing how okay trad tatters i thought you were thinking of all these ideas on your own but no you have a book called the bowery and you just do redraws and the bowery is actually redraws of old vintage advertisement designs and cultural appropriation from like going to hong kong and shit and like i was out here being like i can't even use reference Like you said, I feel like so many times when I talk to my clients, I get so excited because I'm like, I can guarantee you, babe, the tattoo that we're doing on you right now has never existed in tattoo history Mm -hmm. before. But the Mm -hmm. labor of that too, where it's like, yeah, that's the way art works. We need references. But what does that mean when like no one's drawing black people, people are barely taking photographs of black people. If they do, it's like people of a certain type of identity Mm -hmm. like yeah it's just really compounded we are more than just tattooers it's like and even has your sound it's like historians yeah creating history (laughs) creating the reference images like setting the standard or or creating a new standard um and a new accessibility to what can be possible yeah what you spoke on too like that's another thing i want to underline where you're talking about making sure your client leaves more educated so that they can go to any studio like I feel like that's also an aspect of it where like sometimes I'm like I feel like I need support from black clients but the same I feel a detachment towards my black clients because at the end of the day I also want them to have a choice and when you talk about leaving more educated I just want to make sure they're good and like leave feeling like okay now I know all this bullshit someone told me about the way my skin works is not true I almost feel like there's also like I can't possess any of my clients I just want to make sure some of this misinformation is put into question okay now i'm gonna pivot because i also want to speak on black tattoo collectors because you are also a tattoo collector and like i see your collection i see you doing your cover-ups i see you doing your blastovers and like 
I think that's even the reason why when someone comes to me and they have tattoos from like 10 years ago and they're a black person, I just want to praise them because the risks that they were taking going into whatever studio, (laughs) being like, I trust you even though I see nothing in your portfolio or like maybe you were going to your cousin, you know, or whatever tattooer who was black, who was just learning at the time, like... Tattoo collectors, even with tattoos that are like five years old, six, seven, eight years old, like we need to remember like 2020 was not that long ago and people were out here taking serious risks to get tattooed. Mm -hmm. And if you're heavily tattooed with tattoos from that long ago, I have so much love and respect for you because the risks that were being taken, like you were putting your body on the line in Mm. a serious way where like I just... All black tattoo collectors, I want to be like, come to me. If you need a blast over, I got you. I want to praise you. Like, (laughs) I got your back. But that's a side thing. So, We'll be right back after this short break. Entering into our, our the actual topic of the conversation, I feel like everything we've talked about is relevant, is uh, the conversation around apprenticeships. And, and I will say this here on record, my most radical take, the thing that got me the most hate, the most vitriol, the most death threats, the most doxing, is when I said that if white people had radical leftist politics and believed in in you know, uh, dismantling anti-black racism and decolonizing the industry, they would not become they tattoo would quit. artists. I don't know about, that's real that's- radical. <laughs> but I said that they would, that's real radical. But I said, if you're already in the industry, then educate, take on black apprentices, like fill up those spaces, like share the knowledge. Like if you're in that space, I think that'd be like what I would feel. But if you were white and you were not in the space to not become a tattoo artist, at least for now, until you see more diversity. Yeah. And well, they're not doing apprenticeships. They're just straight up teaching themselves. I guess the new flex is starting as a stick and poker and then eventually moving on to machine or whatever the case is. But what are your thoughts in general about like apprenticeships and and, and, in thinking about that question, like the accessibility in apprenticeships, like who are allowed to access apprenticeships, pros and cons, and even like the history of uh, abuse and violence within apprenticeships. like Yeah, so that's one aspect of cultural appropriation I think is really interesting when it comes to accessibility is almost like how the most privileged people will appropriate the methods of survival that more like at-risk folks have had to take to find a, a means to an end. Like the white stick and pokers who start at their house and just teach themselves and that's becoming okay. Like that's actually the route that should have and like has existed for, I'm going to say black, like queer femme tatters, you know, like learning at their house because an apprenticeship is too violent. Like it's confusing to me that now that's the route that white people are taking Um, When that's actually the method that's had to be developed for Afro-descendant, queer, femme people to get into this industry safely. But yeah, like I think the apprenticeship process, it makes a lot of 
sense in some ways. Like I've dissected a lot myself thinking more about like indigenous tattooing practices, seeing that there was an initiation process, even with indigenous tattoo practices where you learn, you have to go through some trials and tribulations, you have to pay respect to the craft. However, in this modern, like neo-colonial westernized place, there's so many barriers that kind of leave me with my hands in the air when it comes to it. Where it's like, even if you do get an apprenticeship, you're working for free. And who are the people who work for free the most on a social level, on an interpersonal level, on an emotional level, on a familial mm-hmm. level? It's usually black femmes, you know? Right. So like, how many barriers do you have to work for free when you already are expected to have free labor in all of these ways in, in life? Yeah. Yeah, And like, I even think about that when it comes to tokenism and colorism, where like, I got an apprenticeship because of tokenism, because of systemic colorism, because of like my appearance being a more palatable version of blackness. But even in my apprenticeship, like, it was traumatizing as fuck. Like, the shit that I dealt with dealing with people, like the work level, and like, in a way... Sometimes I'm kind of glad that, like, I experienced some of that and maybe my presence was there because now I am seeing self-taught artists who are Black femmes who are killing it, tattooing in their house, and they're not necessarily needing to go through that trauma. But that's also complicated, you know, because it's like, are you getting the guidance you need? A couple of things. Yeah. For one, I've been thinking a lot about the accessibility and and for since my last having my last apprentice, I didn't those didn't work out. And I could not have been more ethical yeah. in that. Like people were getting paid. There was not an expectation of labor. It was equal learning, equal labor, plus they were getting paid. And I've like sat with like, okay, what is like a ethical way to approach apprenticeships. And this conversation keeps coming up about, well, if somebody's doing labor, they should be getting paid. And although I'd find that to be true, it's like, so then what happens to the teacher, right? Like it takes a lot to teach people in the way that at least I would want to teach people. I don't want to engage in an apprenticeship that is just so subpar, that is just so like just getting them to a point where they could start working at the shop and making me some money, right? Like it's extensive and it's intentional. And so you know, I, I landed on and I was talking to to Sam about this. And it's like, at the end of the day, it's supposed to be a give and take. Yes. Right. So in reality, if we want to talk about it, like just from an industry standard, like with nothing else, like with nothing else in mind, then if that's the case, if people want to start talking about labor and this and getting paid and apprenticeships, then then maybe you should just be paying the teachers then. But then again, who does that become accessible yeah. for? So it's just been interesting to hear how people have had like it feels like everybody wants a bad apprenticeship story. Yeah, everybody wants a tumultuous start to their tattooing career or a tumultuous experience of a tattoo to career, almost as a rite of passage, and that's not necessary. Yeah. And it feels like there's a whole bunch of discourse happening with no real solution and no real internal reflection of being like, well, then what do you want then? Yeah. You want to learn how to tattoo? Okay, this is like how it's traditionally be done. Let's like fix how this can traditionally be done. Oh, you don't want to do that. Okay. So then maybe like, what do you do for your mentor? Like, how do you support your mentor? Like how, like, how do you accommodate that sort of labor? Okay. You don't want to do that. It's not accessible. So then what is the motherfucking solution? Okay, then fine. Then people work in their apartments and maybe they get better. Maybe they get, maybe they don't. 
where is the longevity of yeah. that? Because I feel like even for myself, as I'm getting older, I'm still in my 20s, but even <laughs> as I'm getting older, I'm realizing that tattooing by hand as a means of survival is not- It's not long-term. It's not a long-term solution. And I've built and established a career that's going to last me a while. I'm going to be okay. Yeah. But that comes with a lot of work and I had to evolve it as an artist. It was not going to be possible if I maintained the level of skill that I did when I was first learning at home. Even- if I was a, how good I was four years ago, it was not going to be possible. So being black, being feminized, being queer, being trans, being poor, being mad, being neurodivergent, if we add all these like identifying factors, if you're not doing this job in the way that is going to be long-term sustainable, then it's like, what are you doing it for? That's what I think about. And it's a little harsh of a conversation I feel, but I feel like it's a necessary conversation and one that's like not really being had well that's the thing that's why I've looked at because like me where I came up in tattooing I am trying to stay reflective of how I can maybe embody some of those like systemic old school ways of how I would think an apprenticeship should go and make space for the more like accessible ways like when you talk about like how can we make it work whereas like I do hold some of those values of like this is how an apprenticeship should be like I do hold some of those values of like you should not be tattooing someone's face you should not be doing some of these things which seems to Mm -hmm. be like up in the air at this point which is why like (laughs) I've looked right like I don't know for me that makes sense so I think that's why like I haven't done enough research but I've wanted to look at some of the indigenous ways that people did get into mark making and changing people's bodies because at the end of the day there's always been an initiation process there's always been a sacrifice that you give like it's not Mm. as open as like you can be equal in a human sense but there's always a give and take and it is quite fucking serious to mark people's bodies forever no matter how you see it i feel it. like people don't take that serious it is so deep we're breaking skin we're we're create we're, there's blood there's there's a connection that happens there's a trust that happens right like i don't it's not something to just do for fun right and even who you are as a person like we saw it because what's wild about being in the tattoo industry during the 2020s was there was the black lives matter and then there was also the me too movement where i felt like it became even more prevalent like if you operate like a fucking asshole you're letting down everyone you tattooed dude like people wanting to get cover-ups of a full sleeve because the person who tattooed them is a creepo. Like there's a lot that goes into tattooing people. And like, I don't know, like I've had people ask me if they could be my apprentice, but like, if I'm not good, I can't give someone the apprenticeship that I would want them to give. Like, I think the person who mentored me, they gave me a shot, but like, I wish it was more hands-on sometimes. I felt like I was kind of just in a room trying shit out to be honest that's the issue like we could have the conversations that we're having about the responsibility of the student and that the, the respect of the student teacher sort of relationship we're not negating the history again like the history of abuse and violence that occurs like the initiation process in this like white supremacist adjacent tattoo industry has been like substance abuse yes. uh, forced substance abuse a, a real exploitation of labor and not yeah. enough 
learning that is happening, not enough teaching that is happening, people who are getting sexually assaulted or uh, physically abused or reprimanded in such a humiliating and dehumanizing way. Like I'm not negating like that those things don't happen in apprenticeships and which is why people don't want to go to them. But that is also why, and like what you said, like initiation period or relationship building, that's why the relationship building needs to happen as well, right? Like just walking into a shop that you've never been in before or sending an email or DM, which is owning a shop now has been interesting. The amount of people that are constantly requesting to be apprenticeships who have never been tattooed at the shop, who have never put money into my black artist pocket, who has never walked by, broke bread, drank a glass of water with us, had a conversation. Like there's no relationship building. Like, who are you? Like, why should I invest my time and energy? And why would I want to? Do we vibe? Do we have a relationship to each other? Do we align in, in, in politics? Like, is this something that you really want? And it's like in the old school way, you'd get tattooed by an artist. You've been tattooed by an artist. You work on your art. And so this is something that Chris talks about all the time. A lot of these people are not artists. They just want a tattoo. You build that relationship with your artist. You see who they are. You build a relationship. And then you like enter this and you enter this space. And once you become a longtime client, people get comfortable around you. So you can sort of gauge what is happening here, right? But just jumping into it kind of just like is like skipping steps and... And this is not, I'm not like victim blaming by any means, because you're not always going to be able to know who is harmful and who's not, like even through that process. Yeah, and even the money to get tattooed is like, a yeah, lot. so. Yeah, I mean, and it's and it's true. And and again, even like, you know, having to, to go through an apprenticeship process while, let's say, being employed full-time or yeah. part-time and having to sustain yourself and not having a family to rely on. Like poor, like oh poor people, God. like poor whites and poor black, like anybody poor is going to struggle. Yeah. And it used to be a poor man's job. <laughs> Accessible. That's why like, I feel like I, mm-hmm. it helped me to get into it. Like, anyways, there's a lot that you spoke on too. Like, I just want to underline everything you said because it's all so real. But like, yeah, for me, like tattooing never used to be like, you go to art school and stuff. Like I felt like it was one of my only Mm -hmm. ways that I was going to be good as like a high school dropout as well. And like someone who didn't have like post-secondary education, I was like, damn, I have a way to actualize myself. And I've liked that as a tool for people who are survivors of many systems, you know, but a lot of that is radically shifting and I'm a, I'm the same. Like, I'm not going to teach someone to tattoo who's never gotten a tattoo from me. Like, that feels like extraction from me, you mm. know? And, like, people can know where you're at now, but, like, what it took to get to this point, like, it's also hard, too, when, like, because I hear, too, like, in the apprenticeships that you gave, like, I know that you were really showing up with your best and it's hard when like you've experienced harm that contextualizes why you're providing a level of care and why it is actually like a high level of care but for folks who maybe haven't engaged in the industry before some of these conversations that were being had were had it might not feel that way when it's like what not trying to like again trauma dump and stuff like that and you're talking about everyone wants like that kind of apprenticeship sob story but working at traditional shops like i've tattooed people who are high on substances i've tattooed people who are like out of their minds because the 
a shop owner was encouraging me just to get money. Like I've worked with people who are like, I know black femmes who have tattooed literal white supremacists, yeah. like literal Nazis. Exactly. Yeah. Like, cause they worked in that kind of shop. Yeah. I've yeah. been like, I've had white people like abuse me and stuff. So that's also wild. It can feel a little bit scary to like embark on giving an apprenticeship when it's like, I am providing like a high level care from like my scope of the industry, which is why I even feel comfortable providing an apprenticeship with my experience but that still isn't really understood through the lack of access to art so the lack of access to how the industry has been up until this point lack of access to so many things so underlining Mm -hmm. your point on that So how do you feel about the direction that the, like with all this in mind, how do you feel about the direction that the industry is going in regards to self-taught and like private studios and things like that? It's so interesting because we kind of witnessed like the death of street shops for a second. And now we're like, I don't know, it's happening so quickly where there's almost a revitalization a little bit. It really depends on like the actual temperature of the space because it's like in montreal people love traditional but then also there's like a a wild like diy queer scene in toronto it seems like there's more of like people appreciate realism and maybe some of those like more classic styles in that way in calgary people are getting like full sleeves but out in montreal people just want small tattoos because they're broke um (laughs) (laughs) so Yeah, I really am not sure about the direction of the industry. It seems like at this point, the value of tattoos is going down a little bit. Like how tattoos are valued in general. No, I agree. I hate this. And I guess maybe it's different. Again, I come from a different lens now having a walk-in shop and and having reimagined what it could look like and actually putting that into practice. Where, you know, everybody says, oh, I feel like private studios make me feel comfortable and it's more intimate and there's you can, there's more relationship building that happens with the artists and da da da. And it might have been true uh, before, but like now having this space, I'm like, oh, like now people are seeing like, oh, that can happen in a walk-in shop. It just matters about the intentionality behind it. Yeah. And then on the other side of that is also now I'm seeing pri- like private tattoo studios in the city who are now opening up for walk-in days. So I'm like, oh, not as booked as busy as you thought. You right. thought you were three years into tattooing. You thought you was going to be booked and busy with your one style, which is cute and probably viable for some people. But it don't work like that long term. Like, I think people forget, like, yeah, there's a huge art element to tattooing um, and being an artist. But I I do see it as like blue collared work. I see it as a trade as well. As much as we want to be expressive as artists. Right. And we want to do things that like nurture that part of us. It is also like people want to get infinity symbols. Exactly. And they want to feel safe doing it. They want to feel good doing it. You know what I'm saying? And an infinity symbol today is like a peony sleeve tomorrow. Because people also have their gateway, you know? Like some of my longest clients, like they were like, I want a line contour elephant on my ankle. And I've been like, I got you, boo. Fast forward five years. They're like, you were right. We're doing a half leg sleeve, you know? Like I love (laughs) huge tattoos now. So yeah, exactly. Mm, well, I know the answer to this, but do you believe that there are those who get to be mediocre? Absolutely. While black folks are meant are meant to have to be spectacular. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I hold white people to a higher standard even in that way because, 
even when they're not mediocre, there's been so much that's attributed to that. Like, fuck, I wish sometimes, like, I could have gone smooth brain and just been like, I'm just focusing on art. Like, I can't believe I've been tattooing almost nine years now because if I would have been, like, able to just focus on drawing, like, what could have happened, you know? Anyways, that's a whole different thing. But, yeah, there's definitely people who are allowed to be mediocre and even the people who aren't mediocre, I'm kind of like, well... You're amazing. It's true, you know, but you, there were so many conditions set up for that. So totally. And I think it even goes to that, the conversation of like apprenticeships or people teaching themselves or whatever. It's like, I could see a white body doing a particular kind of art, whether it's like ignorance style or ignorance style adjacent. And I I don't even want to get into ignorance style as a whole, but you said some real shit on that too. It's just funny how like (laughs) things that are so obvious, like just need to be said you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like, although there are some like racialized folks and black folks who do, do like an ignorant style or maybe are not like a spectacular of artists or don't do the most spectacular tattoos in a sense, who gets to have a more flourishing career? Who has the 40,000 followers and a three month wait list versus who's struggling to get booked day to day, who's probably doing the equal, if not the same quality of work. Right. Despite the other having a lot more opportunities to be able to further themselves as a creative and as a tattooer. So my last question is, do you believe that change is possible within the industry? I cannot answer that question. I'm like, I thought so. Like, I'm glad that my bio said Afro-pessimist. I know. Because (laughs) I really am and I have to chill on it or else like, what's going to happen? But like, um, I got to chill on my Afro-pessimism sometimes because there is a lot of hope. But this industry comes down to expendable income. Like, what Mm -hmm. does it mean when the industry is built around expendable income and the people that you want to make art for don't have access to that income. And it seems like, you know, we're in a Christo-fascist grabbing of the fucking tethers um, on such an intense (laughs) level as we enter like a new technology age. So yeah, I've interacted with a couple people recently who are Black who are like, computers will never replace humans. Like, and the reason why shit feels so high volume right now is because it's like a dying cry. Like it's the grab before Mm. the let go. So that's the greatest way that I can say we can change things is maybe through like the way that these things are maybe feeling downplayed because they're actually up and powerful. And I guess there's that individual autonomous influence but right now I'm not a very high hope person. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, I am seeing so much changing when it comes to nuance, you know, like I am seeing like black femmes. I was when when I talk about people who worked at houses, like for example, Chris, Cal, they both started in street shops. They're continuing to tattoo. Their work only keeps getting better. I know people who like are black femmes. They're tattooing their house. Their work looks incredible. But I guess my only worry is will we have the financial support to actualize mm ourselves you know at the end of the day Mm -hmm. like we can get as good as we want to get but like 
And the cultural appropriation, that's the whole thing I want to talk about too, is like tattoo styles are getting fucking confused, you know? Like shit is getting <laughs> out of hand when it comes to cultural appropriation on top of that. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Vegas? I don't actually hold much like hope for the industry as a whole. Yeah. I see it as a as its own institution, really. I think we met, there was attempts and it's exhausted and people, you know, it it looked optimistic for a while because allyship was up yeah. for a little while and camaraderie, but that shit is is gone it's now. Gone. And so the only thing that I could hope for is just to continue to build pockets of folks and people of community that can re like imagine and, and enforce what the, the industry should look like and could, but I don't think it ever could. It it have to be a whole with anything, right? Yeah. With any institution, it has to be abolished, <laughs> tear yeah. down, and then something new to be built. I don't think that's something that is possible. But yeah, just like building relationships and having these conversations and um Yeah, I think that's just kind of the best that we can hope for. That's the thing. When you talked about like tattooing having longevity, I think that's also part of the issue is like the only reason why in trad tattooers there's like Danny Diomi DeVito, like Tony, Tony McConzy, and he's like 92 years (laughs) old, but people still want to get shaky tats from him. Like the only person that we have like that in Western colonial tattooing is Jackie And like, even she is not doing well because we don't have that necessarily like intergenerational hype beast culture around tattooing. And that's where I even find value in apprenticeships because just like how intergenerational relationships are valuable, like child to grandparent, you know, that's valuable to the longevity of tattooing where there needs to be some boundaries around like what we're doing here in hierarchies. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it's so funny to like reject parts of the, this harmful industry, but then also be like, okay, what remains though that has existed for a reason or a benefit? But Mm -hmm. yeah, I agree with you. It's just like interpersonal pockets. Like I'm going to be back at true. I'm coming back to Toronto and all the clients who I meet are like literally incredible. Like maybe it's going to be taking like, I've been thinking about having like a client appreciation party or something where all my clients can meet each other. Cause it's like social workers, black academics, farmers, like all these people. So it's really nice to work in a space where the clientele have a really a line, you yeah. know, it's like, and you just meet all these folks who are doing like really radical, like on the ground work. It just feels good to even have, be able to have those conversations in a space and not have to look over your shoulder to make sure <laughs> the much. white homeboy next to you is the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, Jalen, thank you so much for coming on. Certainly would love to have you on again. Yeah, so much at to some talk point about. in the future. I know there is, I'm like, part two? Yeah. I would um, love that. <laughs> But was there anything you wanted to plug? If you want to plug in your social media ads um, and anything you'd like to say, just signing off. So, yeah, I would, if y'all could follow me, that would be great. Um, my IG is Fuzzy Wasms on TikTok and on Instagram. My books have been closed while I've been recovering from a burnout, but I'm looking to get back into tattooing again. So I really need some support. And I just hope that we can actualize all of our dreams find good time to rest 
yeah, I don't think I have much to say other than that, actually. Just my plugs. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> <laughs>